You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the Orphan Black Season 5 premiere entitled The Few Who Dare. How short is that name? It's easy to pronounce, even. (laughs) So we're we're going to be discussing... Relatively easy to remember, even? I know! We're going to be discussing anything and everything in that episode, but there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes. I can't believe we're in the final season of the show. I know. It's... I'm sad about it, but again, I just, I feel so glad that they know that the end is coming and they can plan for it. Yeah. And I feel like this is a show that really needs that. Like they need that finish line, not just a, oh, we're going to get however many seasons and kind of keep going. Like, no, I feel like this is a story that really needs an end point. I concur. Yeah. So what did you think of the premiere, Chris? Like, what were your general thoughts about the episode? You know, I, I liked it. Uh, I don't have overly strong feelings about it, it seems, Mm -hmm. which kind of feels weird for me. But at the same time, I think I've been sort of like super chill about this being the last season, just because I think we've known for long enough. Right. That I'm not, I'm not too stressed out about it. And really, this episode was such a setup episode Mm. for the rest of the season. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that there were too many, like, really drastic things that happened. I can think of one that's, like, a huge deal, potentially. Right. But um, everything else kind of feels like it's setting up for the rest of the season. I agree. I was surprised how fairly, like, relatively low-key it was for mm-hmm. a premiere. <laughs> However, especially given how season four ended with, with Sarah and such bad shape and while you know she was definitely i think the part of the episode that was the tensest it even even that didn't make the episode as a whole feel all that tense and oh my gosh and i was still worried like i still was leaning forward and kind of like oh what is you know I, i felt upset and like interested in what was happening but it wasn't as adrenaline filled as some of the premieres have been Right. I mean, like, season two literally starts off with Sarah running, and yeah. like you're just stressed out from the moment that episode starts. Right. <laughs> or at least I was. And mm. so I'm watching this, and I'm like, is this really kind of abnormally calm for them, or am I just jaded at this point? <laughs> I wasn't sure. I'm still not sure. Mm. But I, I do think... I don't know if I mean this necessarily as a criticism of the episode, because if they'd done it, maybe it would have felt too heavy handed. But it was kind of in retrospect that I realized like, oh, my gosh, like everybody's captured by the end of this episode, or at least so many people are captured by the end of this episode. But I don't know that I really felt the entire weight of that when the credits rolled. Like it took me a second to kind of think back and realize, oh, my gosh, like so many people were taken in by Rachel, it seems like. Hmm. Yeah, I guess if anything, it's it's less less that whole adrenaline-filled, you know, screaming, oh my god, what's going to happen? It was less of that and more just like general anxiety when the episode ends. Mm, yeah. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a good episode and everything. But I know, I, was... I, feel like it, I feel like it sounds like I'm being negative about it. I'm, I don't mean it that way. I thought it was a good episode. It's just that it is more leading into things that will be happening. Or at least it feels like it that way to me. Right. There was a lot of setup about revival and that community and what's going to go on there this season. So it, it, <laughs> yeah. So it didn't feel like there was as much time for ramping up the, the stakes in this episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
So do we want to talk about the episode titles for season five? I think we should. Okay, where are they coming from, Chris? Thanks to your research, (laughs) you found out that these titles are coming from a poem by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. And apparently, you've seen... (laughs) None of this is is stuff I knew. None of this is stuff I knew. (laughs) The, The poem on the Ella Wheeler Wilcox Society website is referred to as protest, but apparently you've seen it called something else elsewhere? When I saw people talking about it in relationship to Orphan Black, they kept saying that the name of the poem was 1695. I think that might actually just be a reference to a quotation from the poem that's in like this book of quotes, and the number of the quote is 1695. I don't know where that number came from, but I'm going to trust the Ella Wheeler Wilcox Society that they know what they're talking about. So the I mean, name of- if it's a whole society, they they better know. <laughs> Their website is so great, Chris. Like it's so 90s. Like. <laughs> It has really? a link. It yes, it was updated in 2015. It's not like it's a dead web page or anything. But I mean, I guess that's a couple of years now. But I th- it must have been made back in like the late 90s or something like that. There's a link to a Yahoo groups. <laughs> it was really charming. <laughs> Are there then, a lot of like like just straight up RGB colors used there? Yeah, it's just like pages with with tons of links on them. That that's like that's it. <laughs> but anyway. So their website, they have a Facebook page too, but but their website refers to the poem just as protest. It looks like it was written in like, or published in 1914, 1916, around in there. And I thought we might, I'm, we might just read the poem. It's not that long. Okay, go for okay. it. Okay. To sin by silence when we should protest makes cowards out of men. The human race has climbed on protest. Had no voice been raised against injustice, ignorance, and lust, the Inquisition yet would serve the law, and guillotines decide our least disputes. The few who dare must speak and speak again to right the wrongs of many. Speech, thank God, no vested power in this great day and land can gag or throttle. Press and voice may cry loud disapproval of existing ills, may criticize oppression and condemn the lawlessness of wealth-protecting laws that let the children and child-bearers toil to purchase ease for idle millionaires. Therefore, I do protest against the boast of independence in this mighty land. Call no chain strong which holds one rusted link. Call no land free that holds one fettered slave. Until the manacled slim wrists of babes are loosed to toss in childish sport and glee, until the mother bears no burden, save the precious one beneath her heart. Until God's soil is rescued from the clutch of greed and given back to labor. Let no man call this the land of freedom. That feels so pertinent, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think it's a stretch to <laughs> think they maybe chose this because of some political stuff happening in many countries right now. I have no idea what you're talking about. I do. I do know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I, re- I read that and I just thought like, man. <laughs> Not much but, has changed in 100 years. Uh, yeah. So I did do a little research on Ella Wheeler Wilcox. She was a U.S. author and poet. She was born in like the mid 1800s. I want to say 1840s ish. Died around uh, 19 early 1900s. And she and her husband were very interested in three particular philosophies. I'll try to give like a shortish 
example of what each of them are. The first being New Thought, whose kind of basic idea, this is, I'm being very, very general here, guys. So please don't email us, say like, you forgot all these details. I know. <laughs> so New Thought, basic idea, divinity is in everyone and everything. Second thing was spiritualism, which really talks about the idea that the dead can communicate with the living. If you think about seances and Ouija boards, those are really big in the spiritualist movement. And then finally, theosophy. This is probably the most complicated of them all to distill down to kind of a short thing. So the best I can come up with is they talk about all existence being one thing. They don't really think about the universe as having a creation point. It's just always been with alternating periods of activity and rest. And because of this belief, theosophists believe in reincarnation. So we have our, you know, period of activity when we're alive, period of rest after we die, and then we have a period of activity again when we're reborn. So Wilcox, she was really known for very positive, optimistic poetry. Wikipedia described her as a popular poet rather than a literary poet. So she wrote poems that just people really liked, though she didn't necessarily receive a lot of, like, praise from critics. And then she also... Uh, you know, and because she was so positive and optimistic, I'm like, oh, maybe this is a good sign for our clones this season. But she also has a lot of thoughts about, like, the afterlife and death. And I'm like, oh, no, maybe this is a bad sign for our clones. <laughs> I, I guess I guess the thing to think is that for Wilcox, death wasn't, like, a bad thing necessarily. It was just kind of a ne next phase of life. But still, I'm like, <laughs> Okay, but I'm going to choose to look at it this way. The show is ending. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it will live on through rewatches and fandom and such. So there, there is an afterlife to the show. Hmm. So maybe it's about that and not about the clones. Here's hoping. <laughs> also, I mean, this, this poem in and of itself isn't really about the afterlife, so... Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know if they chose this particular poem just because of the poem, if Wilcox's interest in theosophy and new thought also played a part as to why they cho chose her protest poem versus another protest poem. Who knows? But I thought we'd give both like the poem itself as well as some background on the person who wrote it. Good things to know. Yes. So you want to dig into the episode, Chris? Uh, let's start with the thing I know you want to start with. Delphine! <laughs> that was much higher pitched than I was expecting. Uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so happy that Cosima and Delphine, but mostly Cosima, got such a meaty plotline in this premiere. I was thinking as I was watching it, or really after, I guess, like in retrospect, I think that might have been one of the most Cosima heavy episodes that we've had. It felt that way to me, too. And as someone who very strongly believes Cosima has been an underused clone in the first four seasons, uh, it made me very happy. I mean, she is right in the middle of what seems to be the big deal storyline for the season. Right. And it, it feels like they are back at, at Dyad in the beginning of season two in a lot of ways, right? Right. I was actually having this moment. And it's like, you know, it seems like this is sort of a thing with Kasima, because she's, you know, once again, infiltrating what is essentially enemy territory. And I'm just kind of, I'm worried. Mm. Like, it's, is she going to drink the Kool-Aid? Because it feels like there's kind of always that risk that she might. 
Well, and Delphine is kind of in the same spot again, right? Where she mm-hmm. might be wary of what's going on, but she still clearly has belief that there is is benefit, at least in knowledge, is to being involved in what's going on on the right. island. And both times, too, there's this element of coercion where you're kind of not sure how much she's actively participating in it. Yep. Because we've seen the other neolutionists who are ostensibly part of this group who are completely willing to threaten loved ones. So I'm like, I don't know how willingly she's participating in all of this, but mm-hmm. but here we are. Because she definitely doesn't seem to be 100% in control of her own actions. Right. Delphine, I mean. She, she clearly didn't want to leave, but right. she's like, I'm going now. <laughs> and and I, I wanted to note, she mentions that she's headed off to Sardinia. And when she mentioned that, I thought, okay, Italy, does she have a pasta craving? What's going on? Uh, but Sardinia is... <laughs> I'm like, I know this is relevant somehow, but what is it? <laughs> yeah, it's an island off the coast of Italy where there's an un- unusually large number of people who live over the age of 100. So, I think I have heard about this. Yeah, so it makes sense, right? That that it would be something that this group of people on the island would be interested in. And actually, mm-hmm. I, I did a little, I did a little Google, and very recently, like at the beginning of of June, there was an article about how this UK biotech firm has bought some genetics information, and they cleared some sort of legal hurdle to get to be able to use it, so that they can do research about gene therapies and longevity and all sorts of stuff. So I thought that was kind of interesting to note. Genetics information stuff and and people buying it makes me nervous. I know it's it it is it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. By the way, I read a thing recently, like the ancestry DNA things. Apparently, people can buy that information also. So be cautious, everybody, because yeah. it can be used. It can actually be used against you and people you are related to. And I feel like it's kind of baloney anyway. I might be wrong, but just be aware. Be aware. Be aware. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Okay, moving on for our small bout of paranoia, there's... <laughs> I mean, it's Orphan Black. <laughs> That's true. It's always just lurking beneath the surface when we're watching the show. Beneath, on top of whatever. It's there. <laughs> it's there, is the point. It's behind you! <laughs> so the Cosima and Delphine re- sweet reunion was so short-lived, but... I, I know, was, I'm like, Stephanie's so happy. And then it ends and I'm like, Stephanie's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there were some smoochies, Chris. And I thought it was very sweet when, when Kasima kissed where, where she, her little bullet wound was and like Delphine's reaction. It, it gave me feelings. It's like every fan fiction ever written about yeah. a post-shot Delphine. Yeah, pretty much. And it, it, it gave me feelings. And uh, like, I, I do understand the, dramatic tension, of course, of keeping Delphine away. And I knew that was definitely a possibility. It, it, and it seems like that's likely, right, that Delphine's not going to be around very much this season. She, Evelyn Brochu was listed in the guest credits. I'm like, oh, no. I know. We just got you back. I know. I was really hoping to see her in the in the main cast list again. But uh, I get it. She's got other commitments and things. I wish her all the best on other projects. But Delphine! I I feel like I should add that when I said, we just got you back, I actually outstretched my arm as if I was reaching for her, which is weird, (laughs) but I did it. And I feel like you should know. (laughs) (laughs) 
But Delphine was important. She was at least able to catch Cosima up a little on the whole, this is why I disappeared for a really long time. Sorry about that. Nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that these these weird science hippie survivalist people were, you know, keeping me here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she definitely, you know, she offers Cosima that breadcrumb about the Afghan girl who has cancer that we see her seeing. She, I don't know that she really treats her, but, you know, sees her at, earlier in the episode and uh, talks about how other people have come to the island for treatment. And then she gives us a, a big, just like swath of exposition about revival, this little village on the island. Yeah, I have so many questions about revival. Which I feel like is, you know, the intent. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, apparently, I mean, we get some of this information from Mud, too. Which, really, Mud? Her name is Mud? <sighs> I-, I feel like for folks who are outside the U.S. or haven't heard the expression before, we should explain. That expression, like, my name is Mud, or if you say, like, somebody's name is Mud, that is is, is slang meaning that somebody is basically like they're socially disgraced or they're unpopular, you know, like they they just, they don't mean very much anymore. And so it does feel a bit on the nose <laughs> that her I name know, is she, Mud. She walks in, she's like, my name is Mud. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? I Interestingly, as I was Googling, because I wanted to make sure that I was remembering what that expression meant, because <laughs> sometimes I'll, I'll think that I forgot things anyway because it's not like i use that expression a lot (laughs) so as i was googling to make sure i remembered correctly what the expression my name is mud means i learned that there's a song by primus called my name is mud and it's about a man who killed his friend during an argument and he's trying to bury him and to make the song even more creepy it uses a sample of a line from the movie deliverance in it i i really don't know anything about primus but pass (laughs) But then I was just, I was just, I don't know. I don't know why I felt like I needed to mention that. I just, because of the context, I guess, of the character, I just kind of felt like, run, Delphi, and she seems sweet. (laughs) As soon as you see the words, the movie deliverance, you're like, nope, pass. Yeah. (laughs) Run. (laughs) So, uh, Mud, very, very enthusiastic young woman, you know, cheerful. Uh, But now I'm worried about her (laughs) more than I was. Well, it's like, should we be worried for her, for her or because of her? I'm not... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Because she gives me creepy vibes also. But anyway, mm-hmm. she tells Kasima that they're a self-sustaining, off-the-grid kind of community. And we find out from Delphine that they're doing some sort of decades-long pro-longevity study. That is what she said. She said pro-longevity, not just longevity. No. I double-checked. Yeah. I, I thought that's what she said. And it's like, I don't know that I've ever heard it phrased that way. Yeah. She calls revival the heart of Neolution and talks about how they do stem cell therapy, cryonics, caloric restriction, immunotherapy, and cloning there. And so, which is not that surprising. Like, I was kind of glad that what we learned about revival, it, it seemed to reflect what the little bit that we saw of it in the season for finale because i remember thinking okay they seem to have kind of modern medical stuff but this seems like a very kind of old school more primitive encampment like what's going on exactly here so this this makes sense i mean delphine's living in a yurt 
yeah, there's yurts involved. If there's a yurt involved, yeah. But this makes sense, right? Because if they're doing pro-longevity studies, they don't exactly want these folks to be, they want to keep them kind of contained and they probably don't want them to be just walking around amongst people not getting much older if their, you know, studies are actually being effective. So it kind of makes sense that they would be off the grid and away from other folks. I am interested in the fact that they are calling it revival. Because, like, that word has connotations. Right? It's, <laughs> you it's, know, it's like, because, you know, because we've had the Neolutionists and the Proletheans running kind of side by side to each other throughout the series. And now it's like there's this village with kind of religious overtones to its name a little bit. It's interesting to me. But also, I mean, there there is the literal translation or literal meaning of, like, they actually did revive Delphine. True, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm like, clever writers, but also, mm, <laughs> it just, it makes me nervous. Some of the, some of the potential implications. Also, is it just me or does their little town remind anyone of Carnival? Because it kind of reminds me of Carnival. The TV show, I should clarify. Does anybody remember that TV show other than me? <laughs> I remember it existed. I have not seen it, so I cannot say one way or the other. There there were two storylines, essentially. One that took place in, like, a traveling circus, and one that was centered around religion. Hmm. Okay. But mostly I'm like, it kind of looks like the whole traveling circus, like, temporary town that they'd set up every time they stopped in a town to put on their circus they'd have you know the the cars would sort of form like a little a little village well the leader's name is pt westmoreland you know whose initials also were pt barnum i know this came up during our roundtable discussion which i assume you still haven't listened to (laughs) why you gotta go shaming me like that chris i'm sorry (laughs) no it's fine i mean i know you're avoiding stuff to do with season five. You you want to go into it fresh. I respect that. Thank you. I'm kind of teasing you, is okay. really all it is. Because okay. it did come up, because I brought up the fact that here's here's sort of my current theory as I was re-watching season four. I'm like, I kind of feel like P.T. Westmoreland might be a con man. Maybe he's not really 170 years old. And then I'm further taking this, like, maybe he doesn't actually exist. Hmm. Right? Right. And I feel like this episode kind of reinforced this this gut reaction I have, mm-hmm. because we never see him. He's like this man that lives in a house up on a hill. <laughs> they get all excited when there's a song playing over speakers. It's all very showy, mm-hmm. but also without actually showing you anything. Yeah. So I feel like my theory is a good one. <laughs> Either that he is a con man or he in and of himself is a con. Mm. Because apparently, didn't they say that Susan Duncan used to do what we saw Rachel doing? Yes, I believe so, yeah. Delivering information from P.T. Westmoreland, allegedly. Right. I'm like, how do we know it's actually from... P.T. Westmoreland, if he has somebody to speak for him, he doesn't actually need to exist. He could just be like a figurehead, like a completely made up figurehead. Hmm. I'm throwing it out there. I think that that is a a very good possibility. Thank you. 
And speaking of of kind of figureheads of a community, did Revival remind you a bit of Henrik Johansson's Prolethean community from season two? Yes, I got the cult vibe from it. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Which plus, is, I assume, it, kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, well, and Mud also has that line about we're all his children here. And, and <laughs> I think she means that figuratively mostly uh, but and in the Prolethean community case it was literal you know <laughs> so it was pretty literal at least yeah. <laughs> yeah so it definitely reminded me of 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 Henrik Johansson which it kind of makes me wonder if if this is if they're maybe going for that in this season this like convergence of the Prolethean and the Neolution sides of the story that were presented as more separate earlier in the series because there's that guy who comes to collect Felix later on, mm-hmm. who's presumably a, a neolutionist, Mr. Frontenac, and he says there are no factions now. I know that was that was my thought also because it's really been a while since we've seen the Prolethians at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm like, did, did they forget that they existed? Are they being included in this whole? There are no factions now. I'm so curious because yeah. that guy kind of did dress like a Prolethian, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He did. That's why I was wondering mm-hmm. as I was like typing up my notes. I was going to put, you know, oh, Felix was taken in by the Neolutionists, and then I'm like, actually, he doesn't say. He doesn't specify. Which group he's from? He specifically says there aren't really any groups anymore. There's just the one. So I'm I'm curious to learn more about Mr. Frontenac, and I am also curious to see if they are going to intertwine the Prolethean and the Illusionist groups in the season because that's kind of what Johansson took a step towards because he was a Prolethean, but he also embraced the utility of you know the science in a lot of ways. Well, didn't we find out in season two that Johansson had been working for, wasn't it Duncan that he was working for? Yes, exactly. So, like, he had essentially been a neolutionist, or was at least associated with them. So, mm-hmm. there's that. I think we also found that out about uh, Maggie Chen, right? Maggie mm-hmm. Chen had been with neolutionists. Yep. And crossed over to the Prolethians. Yeah. So, I'm very curious to see if we're going to hear about the Prolethians again, and if it's going to be like the two groups have essentially come to be just be one in this final season. And if that did happen, what prompted it? Mm. Was it Johansson essentially impregnating Helena? Because mm. that is a fairly literal merging of the two. Yep. That's gross. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is gross. But your point is there is valid. <laughs> Thank you. Also in Revival, we heard a lot of references to the fountain, the, the I think her name was Aisha, or a- I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. It's spelled like Aisha. Maybe it was just That pronounced- is what Delphine said. Okay. The the young Afghan girl who she was seeing in her clinic talks about the fountain. Mud also mentions, I believe, the fountain, or maybe it's just Rachel mentions the fountain again. Uh, but it's, it's referenced at least twice in the episode. And I think it's supposed to be a clear reference to the fountain of youth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else it would be, especially since the whole point is that, you know, the the guy's supposed to be 170 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the prolongevity and stuff. So I don't know what else it could possibly be. Yeah. And I gotta say, he's only been in a few episodes now, but that messenger guy who's hanging around Revival Camp, he is getting on my nerves. He's just everywhere all the time messing things up. <laughs> That is his job, yes. I know. 
<laughs> and he was doing a real good job of it in this episode. I'm like, how is he everywhere so fast? Doesn't he have other stuff to be doing? The place is not that big, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> he was just getting on my nerves. I can tell. <laughs> you know how... You're just like, you leave Cosima alone. <laughs> Well, you know how if you go and see the Buffy musical episode live, whenever Dawn says a line, you're supposed to yell, shut up, Dawn. I kind of felt like this in this episode. I'm like, stop it, messenger. Go away. (laughs) Get a name. (laughs) That's something you could do. (laughs) That'll keep him busy. (laughs) Ugh. So shall we talk about poor Sarah? Poor Sarah, who was not the center of this episode, which is unusual. It is unusual. Uh, But her day continues to be just terrible, which is usual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She was was being survivor Sarah, doing her thing. And I I thought she had, like, very good things in her pockets. I was going to say, she had well-stocked pockets, thank goodness. Yeah, she didn't have much in them, but they were all very useful. But at the same time, I feel like they all made sense why she would have them. Mm -hmm. Because I think, from what I could tell, she had a book of matches from Bobby's Bar. I like that they said Bobby's Bar on them. And she had a piece of paper. It looked like maybe a receipt or something in her pocket. I mean, I usually have a receipt in my pocket somewhere, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to say yes. She had the picture of Kara, which she ended up having to burn. Which Kira. Be, did I? <laughs> wrong it wasn't show. Supergirl. <laughs> it was her daughter, not Supergirl. She was just a big fan. <laughs> you know why I said that, right? Because, because you carry a picture of Kara in your pocket. <laughs> not all the Much time. Much like Lena <laughs> I don't carry a picture of her all the time. No, I... <laughs> I feel like I need to apologize ahead of time. I will might make that mistake many times this season, because that's a thing on Supergirl where her boss calls her by the wrong name and calls her Kira a lot. And so now when I'm talking about Kira over on Over in Black, I think I'm saying the wrong name. <laughs> I just think it's funny because, like, you have it written down in front of you. <laughs> I wasn't looking at it. <laughs> okay. So she had a picture of Kira, her daughter, which is her real name. <laughs> And even though I'm laughing at the moment, it did make me sad when she had to burn it. I know. And then she had a pocket knife and a tampon. That's the thing that she put in her wound, for those who maybe are not familiar with what tampons look like. That is what she put (laughs) in her wound, was Mm -hmm. a tampon. So it was all stuff that made sense that she had, and it was all super useful. Yep. Always carry useful things in your pockets, everyone. I feel like is the life lesson to be learned from this episode. Yeah. But maybe carry, like, a proper lighter instead of matches. Mm, yeah. Because they're then, not that expensive. No, and those little paper matches that come in those books, I've never been able to light one in my life. I guess because maybe I'm not a smoker, I don't know, but I, I've never been able to light yeah, one. Yeah, it's not a thing you really have to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway, but poor Survivor Sarah doing her thing. I was so rooting for her. It made me so mad when she got captured at the end of the episode. I was like, Ugh! I knew it was probably going to happen. She was doing happen. so well the entire time up until right then. I know. Because she really, she skated by by the skin of her teeth when she didn't get caught by the, the dead wolf. So I, I figured it was probably coming, but I just, I was super sad that she didn't make it. Speaking of the dead wolf, like, who the heck 
or what the heck is in the woods with Sarah. Clearly a person, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it is, yes. Yes. But where did he come from? Is he somebody who was in Revival who has left? What exactly is going on there? I feel like, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily spoilery because it, like it's on the internet. If you go to the IMDb page and look at the cast list, there is someone in the credits listed as the creature. And I'm guessing that's the creature. Yes. I think that's, I think that's fair. So do we think he's a bit of a, a Frankenstein type of character? Well, that was my thought was, or the, the one thing my mind immediately jumped to is in season four, Susan Duncan does actually refer to it as the island of Dr. Moreau. Hmm. Yeah. True. So I'm like, hmm. <laughs> and then, but then it's kind of like, okay, so it could be somebody who had some experiment performed on him and it went awry and whatever. Right. And then it's like, or is it somebody who maybe escaped from the revival camp and just kind of like went a little feral because they couldn't figure out how to get off the island and just, you know, what are you going to do other than try and figure out how to survive in the, you know, wilderness of the island, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And went a little mad that way. When I first saw that, I wasn't sure what type of animal it was. It was very long. It looked maybe like it was a fox, but then maybe not quite. I wasn't sure. But the thing that was hanging from the little kind of satellite antenna thing, I, I first thought, is Helena around? Is she secretly in Beaverton National Park? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my my dad also is like, Helena put it there. I'm like, Dad, <laughs> she is not on this island. <laughs> My other thought was that I kept hoping that somebody was going to show up to help Sarah. And mm -hmm. and I was like, could it be MK? That doesn't really seem like her style, but maybe. <laughs> but it makes more sense that it would be the creature we saw attack Sarah earlier in the episode. Yep. So nervous, though. About the creature? Just about everything. Okay. Again, it's that it's just sort of a general anxiety <laughs> that the episode leaves me with. The gift of Orphan Black just keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of folks in the woods, so we have Allison, Donnie, and Helena, where we last saw them at the end of season four in Beaverton National Park. I love that it's called Beaverton is it, National Park. Is it Beaverton Park. or Beaver Tail? Oh, it might be Beaver Tail, but I thought it was for Beaver For some reason, Tun. I've been thinking it's Beaver Tail. I'd be up for Beaver Tail, too. That's a delicious pastry, as well <laughs> as the tail of a beaver. Uh, but either one. <laughs> <laughs> Two separate things, we should clarify. Yes. Those are two separate things. <laughs> Either way, I I am <laughs> was pleased to see them still in the still camping. And and even though I kind of smacked my my hand to my face and thought, Allison, why aren't you following Felix's practical advice? I thought it was sweet that Allison wanted to go back and try to help bring back Sarah and Cosimo. I do appreciate that, but I also was just like Allison, no! <laughs> for for once, be less... I'm asking you to be less like Sarah. <laughs> well, it Although just, it's kind of... It, it is it is gratifying that Allison has sort of changed that much. Exactly. when the series starts, she, she just doesn't want to get involved. Yeah. For much of the series, she just doesn't want to get involved. And she's like, no! <laughs> I am not going to let anything bad happen to them. 
or anything worse happened to them, I should say. And ultimately, if she'd stayed, she probably would have had could have had a similar fate to what she ended up with. So, I mean, it's probably a wash, but I did want to just, you know, grab her by the shoulders and set her back down and be like, no, stay put. <laughs> Felix is telling you to do something practical. <laughs> but hey, credit for trying. Yes. Speaking of Allison getting grabbed, I, I just, I don't even know how to respond to Donnie's reaction. I'm not entirely sure what his thought process was. Because he seemed... I don't know either. Because he definitely seemed torn about the whole situation. Which seems in character. Mm-hmm. Though, when he ran away, once again, my dad is like, that seems out of character for Donnie. And I'm like, I don't know that it necessarily does. Right. Because he is very protective, but he is also just not confident about his ability to handle these things, usually. Right, because that's not his something he's good at, right? Like, he's not a fighter type of guy. The times he tries, he usually botches it horribly. Yeah. But yeah, in, in this episode, if we're making Supergirl references... Uh, he pulled him on L, he, he did nothing, and then he ran away. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if he was thinking about, though in in retrospect, I kind of feel like, well, why? what good is he to Helena? But I did wonder if he was thinking, like, okay, I can go and try to save Allison, probably fail and get grabbed too, or I could mm-hmm. stay behind and try to get with Helena so that we can regroup and find Allison. Like, I don't – so that might have been his thought process is that he was thinking, I'm probably not going to be successful against these two clearly trained people yes if past experience has taught me anything (laughs) it's that i should run away go find helena so helena can save allison yeah (laughs) was actually my thought yeah i'm like if he's running away he better be running away to go get helena to to help allison right so when he showed up later at their minivan i kind of felt like okay what is his plan then i'm confused (laughs) i don't know so and why did he take his suitcase (laughs) He's trying to be stealthy. Dragging his little wheelie suitcase behind him isn't exactly I the know. best idea. Just leave At the least suitcase. Pick it up if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna carry it. Grab the proper handle. The wheels are not going to do you any good in the woods. I would imagine. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried. To be fair, but still, it was very Donny though. Like that image of him. Running away, dragging a suit, a wheelie suitcase behind him. I was like, yep, that's, that's Donnie. <laughs> yep. That's just sort of the Hendrix family, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> Allison tries, but she's not really much better at this. Yeah. She tends that, that aspect. Yeah. She's great with the jackhammer. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so I want to think that Donnie was thinking, okay, I'm not going to be much use if I also get captured. Let me regroup with Helena so she can save Allison. (laughs) But I'm not entirely sure. I mean, she saved him. (laughs) I'm just not entirely sure what was going through his head. So I might have to ding you some points, Donnie, for being a coward and running away. I don't know. Although she did meet him at the van. Maybe that was their established rendezvous point. That's a good point, because there was the warning loon call. (laughs) Right. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm trying to have faith in you, Donnie, but you're making it hard. (laughs) I think that's a good point, though. That is a good point. So what about that confrontation at the minivan? I I am not entirely pleased with the whole stick-to-the-belly situation. I am not either. Uh, I kind of don't know how to feel about this whole thing with the endangerment of Helena's babies. Uh, 
I, I am disappointed, but I'm not surprised because it feels like this is just a common thing that inevitably happens, right? On yeah. a show like this. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, I I don't know. I was hoping Orphan Black wouldn't fall into the same trope. I don't know if it's quite a trope, but it's a common a common plot device. I mean, not this way. Right. But it is a trope to be like, oh no, a character's pregnant. Let's let's have some pregnancy scare. Like that's a trope. Yeah. But, which I am sick of. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens in the next episode. <sighs> Shall we move on? Oh sure. Shall we move on to Felix and Art? Yeah, I feel like the the folks who were trying to help out, though not entirely being successful. <laughs> poor Felix, poor Art. They, I feel like they both did their best, uh, but didn't quite didn't quite get there. They didn't quite accomplish their goals. I mean, I feel so bad for Art because Art's such a good guy. I know, but uh, he got coerced into cooperating with the Neolutionists by his new partner. Who was clearly bad news. <laughs> How does your father be- feel about her? <laughs> okay, so we watched the episode. The whole thing. And then I was re-watching it later to make notes for this. <laughs> and the first scene she's in, in the rewatch, mind you. My dad has seen the entire episode. He knows what's going to happen. She shows up to be partnered with Art. And my dad's like, I don't trust her. <laughs> And I gave him such a look, <laughs> such a look I gave him, Stephanie, because I'm like, really, what, what, what tipped you off? Was it her pointing a gun at Art? Was it her threatening Art's daughter? Is that why you don't trust her? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're not supposed to. <laughs> I think I, I was, I was baffled. I think I feel even more betrayed because that actress played Guinevere over on Legends of Tomorrow and she and Sarah Lance kind of had a thing. And so I want to like her. Because Sarah Lance liked her, but Detective Inger certainly does not deserve Sarah Lance. Well, no, but... Putting my foot down on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Same actress, two different different characters. (laughs) Is that how it works, Chris? (laughs) If you didn't know, because you're getting a little riled up about this, I don't know if you know this. But I wasn't entirely clear what Art's status was by the end of the episode. Because the last we see of him, they've got Allison in the van. And it seems like they're, you know, sending her to the Neolutionists. And then Art has that line about, you know, oh, we're just getting started, partner. So is he presumably cooperating to keep his daughter safe and is going to lead her to more clones? Like, is that is that what's going on with him? I mean, I assume that he's in the same position that Delphine is in. Okay. Where the people we care about are being essentially held hostage by these people. And if we don't cooperate, anything could happen to them. So we have to at least play along for now. Okay. But it was how I'm reading the situation. But it wasn't your impression that he was also going to be, you know, sent wherever Allison was going. No, I don't think so. Because... It sounded more like they were going to go after somebody else, didn't yeah, it? That's that was that's what I was thinking too. Uh, but since we didn't see him again, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and I just wanted to make sure we had sort of the same the same uh, same impression for of, of how that scene ended. So okay. So I'd suspect maybe MK or Helena would be next. Yeah. Well, Helena, 
I guess, would be next, obviously, because her photo was in the file that she handed to him. Yeah. So, though I, I we're supposed to assume that those the the men in black showed up to grab Allison because of Art, right? Because that that's what happens in the scene, like right after she's threatening Art's daughter. Yeah, I suppose so. Now that you mention it, okay. So he definitely directed them. Well, he possibly directed them toward Allison and Helena. But I wonder who else he knows. Like, what other clones he knows the location of? Crystal, maybe? Mm, could be. Mm. I don't think we have the impression he knows where Tony is. He definitely doesn't know where MK is. But maybe Crystal. Right. I think, if anything, he'd know where they sent Tony, but not where Tony went after that. Because basically they were like, you know, send send you on your way and then go from there. Mm-hmm. So it's possible we might see Crystal soon. Who knows? I would not be surprised. Yeah. They do love Crystal. <laughs> Felix, I feel like, was was potentially a bit more successful than Art was in the whole helping department. <laughs> Again, nothing against Art. He tried his best. I understand. <laughs> well, the, the people that Felix cares about are largely at large, so yeah. he can't be coerced. In quite the same at the way. Moment. Mm-hmm. But he managed to contact Allison and have her ignore him. And then he <laughs> rallied Scott and Hellwizard. So at least they're on, they're on the case, even though Alex, where did that come from? <laughs> don't know. I don't know, Kara. <laughs> so they're on the case, even though Felix seems to have been taken in by a knee illusionist. Though again, they don't make it clear. But Mr. Frontenac does, does show up and Felix presumably went with him. Since I brought it up already, can we talk for a second about Mrs. S and Kira? Sure. Because he finds the bloody corkscrew, so I kind of think maybe they got away? Yeah, that's sort of my question next, is is I think it's clear at the end of the episode that Kasima, Allison, Sarah are in the hands of the Neolutionist, probably Felix. Mm-hmm. I feel like Mrs. S and Kira are... It more it's more unclear because we see that he you know there was a struggle of some kind and it's possible they got away so do you think from the corkscrew we're supposed to assume that they got away i mean that's my inclination okay and will also make it easier for me until we see them again <laughs> well I- so it's one less thing for me to stress out about <laughs> Well, I think from the visions that Sarah was having of Kira, we definitely know that Kira's okay. Like, she's not, she hasn't been killed or anything terrible like that. But, and I feel Why like... Why would you even say such a thing? <laughs> I'm sorry, but... You uh, jerk! I'm sorry. I don't think something bad's gonna happen to Kira, but I just was was reassured that, you know, it seemed like she was communicating with, with Sarah intentionally. At least that's how I interpreted Sarah's visions that she was having of Kira. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, Kara's special. You know, she she knows mm-hmm. things about the clones. I mean, it's it's a thing we've seen before mm-hmm. in season three, for example. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I don't think that anything terrible has happened to Kira. And so I, I'm willing to, to hope and assume that she and Mrs. S escaped Ferdinand. Yeah, the fact that we didn't see Ferdinand either. I don't know. I don't know how to take any of it. I did really love the bloody corkscrew, though. The minute I saw that, I thought, oh, S got him. (laughs) Yep. If she got taken, she she didn't get taken easily. Nope. Not that anyone expected she would. (laughs) I mean, come on. So hopefully Mrs. S and Kira got away from Ferdinand. 
Art, while he hasn't been captured, we don't think he is under Nilution's thumb, so he's not exactly able to be very helpful to the clones who have been captured. We have Elena, who's still free, but she has an abdominal wound and is pregnant, and she's with Donnie, who might be pretty much useless. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he can drive her to a doctor. (laughs) He seems to do that okay. Yeah. So Helena might be able to help, given the whole, if the whole abdominal wound thing shakes out okay. But we've got, so I feel like really our our hopes really to get like Kasima and Allison and Sarah and probably Felix back is Hellwizard and Scott and MK. I'm kind of okay with that. I feel like that's not a terrible you, group of people to have pulling for you. I was going to say, you could do a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Ira is there too. He could maybe be helpful because he does know the island. Does he though? I'm better than anybody fr- else. Fair, fair. <laughs> that was just because uh, I have all these questions about revival and the island in general. Because, like, okay, so if PT Westmoreland has that big fancy house that Susan was staying in, because that was apparently where he'd written the thing, right? Right. So why are they on a different part of the island now? I just I have questions. That's fair. I have questions. Anyway, moving on. Sorry. But he has actually been to the island, which is more than Hellwizard and Scott can say, and probably MK as well. So It's true. He does at least know that much. Fair enough. But oh, Rachel. Oh, Rachel. <sighs> what? 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. What? Is she up Episode to? Episode over. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is she up to? I I mean, of course I do not trust her. But do you trust her more or less than Hart's new partner? <laughs> um, more. I, I well, no, no, I don't trust. I trust her less than Art's new partner. There we go. So the opposite of what you just said. <laughs> yeah, for a second I thought my my I was thinking distrust. Like anyway, I have more distrust of Rachel than I do of Art's okay. tr- partner. Is what I was saying originally, but that's not apparently what I was saying. Moving on. <laughs> Words are hard. So Words are hard. Let's start a podcast. <laughs> so we definitely don't trust Rachel, but I, I just, I don't know what to think of her new, I've found the light type of persona she seems to be embodying now. Yeah, I kind of can't figure out what that means. Because see, this, I, I actually feel like this might reinforce my notion that P.T. Westmoreland is an illusion. Hmm. And that maybe Rachel is in power herself now. Yeah. So I'm like, what else would make Rachel that happen? <laughs> good point. That's a good point. Thank you. She seemingly helped Kasima in this episode. Here's here's a question. Would you trust Rachel to do that? Because I sure as heck would not. No. No, no, no. But she did seemingly help Kasima in this episode. If she does continue to help Kasima, I do feel like it's in her best interest. Of course. But I'm, I just don't even know if I can trust her to help Kasima, even though she said directly to Kasima, like, oh, you know, you and I were going to do this great thing together. Uh, I just, I just, <sighs> Rachel is so shifty. I just don't know what to think. Yeah. She did, however, reiterate a frequently used expression on the show. She said that she was invested. I don't know how to feel. Yeah. I don't ever know how to feel. 
Can we talk about her Effie Trinket moment? I like that you're calling it her Effie Trinket moment. <laughs> what else would you call it? <laughs> did Did you not think of Effie Trinket when she was up there with the microphone? I didn't in the moment, but I think that is an apt con- comparison, Chris. Way to go. Thank you. You're welcome. This is the way my brain works. So what did you I'm think? I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry for exposing you to the way my brain works. <laughs> what did you think of her Effie Trinket moment? Uh, mostly, I thought, wow, what an Effie Trinket moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a toned down Effie Trinket. Mm. Uh, also, just like, it, it just makes me nervous. But it feels like she did talk to somebody in that house, even if it wasn't P.T. Westmoreland, because she had to get those talking points somewhere. I mean, maybe she already had them, but it feels like somebody at least would be in there to tell her, you are in charge now, if she is in fact in charge now. Right. I do like that idea, though, that if there's no P.T. Westmoreland, then now it's just Rachel. I mean, that's terrifying to me, but it's... A- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not even necessarily saying that's what it is, mm-hmm. but I mean, it could be. It could also be that there is some sort of person or people in charge who are just sort of going under the guise of P.T. Westmoreland. Mm. I mean, I don't know. And I'm not saying that the possibility of P.T. Westmoreland actually existing and all of this stuff they're saying being true. Like, it's possible. Right. Because it's this show, and who knows? But I'm just, the more I think about it, I'm like, I feel like there has to be some sort of twist to this particular thing, just because the show doesn't tend to be that out there, you know? Yes, if we got into a 170-year-old man... Yeah, that would feel a little more woo than the show tends to be. <laughs> well, and because part of part of what's making me think this too is okay, if he's already a hundred and seventy, he's already figured out what this thing is, right? So why is he still researching longevity? Exactly. But if you build this myth around it and draw people to you, now you suddenly have a bunch of test subjects, mm-hmm. basically, trapped on this island with you. You have test subjects and you have foot soldiers who are doing the scientific research that you want done. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, it seems more likely to me that it's a con. Yeah. For lack of a better word. I did notice in in Rachel's Effie Trinket moment, she seemed to be wearing a pocket watch or a stopwatch around her neck. I did not notice this. I, I feel pretty pretty good about this. And and if that is true, like, that feels appropriate, right? Like, if she's been inducted into this this project having to do with living long in time, extending time for people, I, I thought that was, uh, if I'm correct, I thought that was a nice touch. And speaking of, of jewelry, I was also very intrigued by the necklace that Mr. Frontenac was wearing. I couldn't really see what the symbol was exactly. It was round. Uh, but It looked like a wheel. Yeah, it did look like a wheel. So I don't know if it's supposed to be the wheel of the year or what exactly. I feel like I need to go back and like take a screen capture or something and zoom in really close to figure out what it was. The wheel of time? Mm. I don't know. And I feel like I've asked this before, but I don't remember the answer. Have we had any sort of, of smart people watching the show who have figured out what is going on with the symbols that's on the doors for all the stuff around the camps? I do not remember. They look to me to be the same symbols that we saw in the house that the Duncans were staying in. Right. With like on, on the bedroom walls of uh, where Rachel was staying. 
Right, which mm-hmm. I at least thought were the same symbols that Ethan Duncan had taught to Rachel mm-hmm. as a kid. Remember, there was the whole thing where the symbols were in the the book? Mm-hmm. I do. I think they're all the same symbols. I could be wrong. Okay. But I thought they were. I'm very intrigued by, by those symbols. Mm-hmm. What does it all mean? We did get reference to Susan Duncan, though we did not see her in this episode. I believe it was Mud who said she heard that Susan Duncan would pull through. So I don't know how I feel about that exactly, but I'm glad that we did get follow-up on her fate since she, you know, Rachel just locked her in a bed in a room bleeding at the end of last season. Yeah. Maybe Susan will be disillusioned enough with what's going on and with Rachel that she'll join the clones? Maybe. Especially- and aid them later in the season? Especially since Ira's still around, I feel like we need to see Susan at least once more this season. I could be wrong. She could pull pull a disappearing act like Marion Bowles, but I feel like probably we should see her again. Poor Marion. Yeah. Maybe Marion Bowles is P.T. Westmoreland. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is completely random, but it just just a thought I had during the episode. That disemboweled wolf... Do we think it might be a nod to Ginger Snaps, which is a movie that John Fawcett directed? I should probably clarify. It's a horror movie about vampires, right? Or sorry, about werewolves? Yes, werewolves. Werewolves. That's not the one Tatiana Maslany was in, correct? She was in Ginger Snaps 2? Yes, she was in Ginger Snaps 2. But still, the the Ginger Snaps franchise, I should say. Okay. (laughs) I've seen neither. I think there are three of them. I think there are three of them. I've seen neither. I did kind of wonder if Sarah was going to pull a uh, a tauntaun thing and like try to <laughs> try to curl up inside the wolf. <laughs> and she thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> I also wondered if if when you know because we we see the dogs approaching with well the dudes with the dogs the dogs weren't just like you know leading themselves <laughs> they they come upon the disemboweled wolf and I thought actually Sarah might have like tried to rub the blood of the wolf on her to kind of dampen her own scent. She didn't, I don't think. But, but Because it looked like the bowels were maybe a little more spilled when the dogs came upon it. Well, it was just, I think it was just a different angle. Fair. Um, camera angle. Because we did see that, you know, she put her hand in the blood and got spilled. Yeah, so. accidentally. Yeah. The wolf probably would not have been as effective as a tauntaun at keeping her warm. <laughs> Probably not. Too small. <laughs> and also, it looked like it had been there for, for a, a while. while. Yeah. <laughs> what a morbid discussion. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's my fault for bringing up the disemboweled wolf. So in Ginger Snaps, are there disemboweled wolves? Is that what you're saying? Or, or is, do you think it's just the wolf is a reference to Ginger Snaps? You know, I honestly can't remember if there are disemboweled wolves or not. But for some reason, that's just where my mind went. Hmm. That uh, sort of gruesome scene there just made me think of, like, hmm. I don't know why my brain went there. It just did. That's fair. That's fair. I don't, I haven't seen them in quite some time. I don't, I don't know. <sighs> my brain is an odd place. Hi, Stephanie and Chris. This is Akua from the Bay Area giving my first live feedback for the opener of season five. 
I wanted to take at least one chance to watch the show in live time and give live feedback, uh, mostly, I think, for your ears, because I generally will watch the episodes after the season is done and kind of pace it at a pace that I can digest um, in between me listening to uh, your awesome feedback. So um, this time was different because I definitely wanted to at least catch the opener with all of Clone Club around the world. But it was a challenge to do that because in my time it was showing at like midnight or something like that. And I ended up falling asleep and missing the opener. But anyway, what I did catch of it was really exciting. I feel like it it was a good way to start for each of the characters. And it kind of left us with, again, I feel like cliffhangers for all the characters. You know, I really felt for Helena and their babies and, you know, really nervous about what all... It means that she had the, the stab wound to her womb. And then uh, Sarah being there with Rachel at the end, uh, definitely not the way I wanted her to end out the first episode. Um, I was amazed and, and yet not too surprised that Kazima was trusting enough um, to allow Rachel, who of course seemed to be delivering um, in on actually wanting to help her. But of course, as we've learned, you cannot trust her for too long uh, because I am sure it's going to turn around on all of us uh, by the end of it. So that's really I think, the, the main feedback I wanted to share. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. We have kind of a tight turnaround time this season on our recording time. So, you know, try to send us in your feedback as soon as possible after you watch the episode. It's not that we won't include it in the following episode. It's just that Orphan Black moves so fast. It's like you can have a great theory one week and the next week. Nope. (laughs) Completely different. (laughs) It's true. So it's true. uh, So, but we, we would love to include your feedback in these, in these discussions. Y'all come up with some, some really interesting stuff. So you can send us your feedback several ways. We love to get voice messages. You can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223, or you can send us a a record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. That email is feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also send us just a straight up email to that email address. You can also contact us on Twitter at TIE podcast. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can listen to our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys. And we have a catch-all podcast called Finalysis. We recently talked about Supergirl Season 2. We're going to start talking about Winona Earp soon. You can check out all of those podcasts over at AskGenreTV.com. And in this episode, Kara was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. I don't, I don't know. Stop honking, I'm recording. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs>